Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Did you ever pull a sick root-bound plant out of a too small plastic or ceramic container and look at the root ball? All those thick roots going round and round and round along the sides and throughout the bottom, all those thick roots are impeding the flow of water and fertilizer throughout the plant's root zone. Maybe that's why your plant was sick. We talk with Smart Pots president Kurt Rieger about how their fabric plant containers don't let that happen to your plants. It's called air pruning, and we'll explain how that works. Retired college horticulture professor Debbie Flower answers a listener's question, how soon should you water your garden after a big rainstorm? Well, it depends, but she has tips for using moisture meters as well to help you determine that. The UC Davis Arboretum and Public Gardens Superintendent Emeritus Warren Roberts tells us about the plant of the week. It's a shrub that puts on its show in the winter with colorful berries the Catoniaster. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's episode 156 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. And we'll do it all in just a little over 30 minutes. Let's go. We like to answer your garden questions here on the Garden Basics podcast. Tim left us a message on the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, and uh, he must live here in Northern California because he says, so after five inches of rain in 24 hours, how long can you not water lawns and plants? And yes, indeed, back in October, a central swath of California from west to east had an atmospheric river kind of stall out over our heads and dump record amounts of rain in a very short period of time. And uh, let's face it, these atmospheric rivers can happen just about anywhere, Debbie Flower. Yes, they can. As our climate changes, things are intensifying in small locations. So it could happen anywhere. So I guess the question, and he says, how long can you now go without watering lawns and plants? I'll say it. It depends. Yeah. <laughs> As do many things in horticulture in the garden, it depends. So you're going to just have to know the signs of when to water. Temperatures have cooled off now after that uh, tremendous rain that we had. And so the use of water by the plants has slowed down. The loss of water from soil has slowed down because humidity is very high due to all the moisture in the air and in the soil. Days are shorter. Days are shorter. We're getting le- Temperatures are lowered. So... There are, 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 I have lots of pots outside of my kitchen. My kitchen has a sliding glass door. I have a whole collection of potted plants there. And the one, one thing I do to decide when they need water, and, and the watering of them has also slowed down very much. But the one thing I do to figure out when to go out and, and check for if they need water is have an indicator plant. Observe which plant wilts first. And that one right now is a, a vine in a pot that's probably too small for it, but it's an annual vine and it's going to die. And so I'm not going to pot it up. And so I watch that one. And when it shows wilting, then I'll go out and check everybody else and water everybody else. So an indicator plant in your garden works equally as well. You can use a moisture meter if you know how to use it. 
Moisture meters, what they're really measuring is electrical conductivity in the soil. So the type of soil and the amount of fertilizer in the soil will change the readings. And so what you need to do to learn how to use it is stick it in the soil when you know it's dry and see where it reads and then stick water, let it drain. So it's going to take maybe an hour or two. Stick it in the soil again, and you're only going down to the root zone. They have maybe 10 inch to a foot long shanks on them. You don't need to go that deep, maybe only halfway, and see where it reads when it is completely wet. Depending on your soil type and how much fertilizer you've used, that needle will be uh, in a various places. So you maybe even you mark it with a marker or something. And so then you can check your soil when and when it gets to the low spot then you know it's time to water yeah the uh, containers in in full sun are probably going to dry out first if you have raised beds they may dry out uh quicker than than a lawn situation would lawns are probably going to be the last thing that will be losing water yes and again, it depends yeah. <laughs> whether there are other plants around the lawn that have their roots underneath the lawn. Yeah, sandy how, soil, clay soil. Type of, yeah. of grass that you have, how low or, or tall it's been mowed. Yeah. So there are many, many ways to check. When I was teaching at the Skills Center, which is a vocational high school in the Sac City School District, my students maintained landscape, which included lawn and ornamental, as well as we established a vegetable garden. And when I was grading them, I would take a very long shanked screwdriver. It was probably 10 inches long, 8 to 10 inches long. And I was checking that they were irrigating deep enough. Mm. And so I wanted to make sure that the shank went down at least 6 inches. I want that water at least 6 inches deep. When you hit dry soil, it stops. Soil will typically dry from the top down, but if it's still moist at the bottom, you don't need to irrigate. There are roots down there. that They're doing just fine. So you can take a long shank screwdriver and put it in the soil, and if it doesn't go in, then you know it's too dry. And that, too, depends on the soil type. Sandy soil, that screwdriver may go all the way in very easily. Clay soil, you might get a half inch in right. if it's right. dry. Man. So you need to, all of these things you need to calibrate. You need to check when you know the soil is dry, how the the moisture meter or the screwdriver are going to react and then when you know it's wet how they're going to react and if the pot is small enough you could pick it up pick it up when it's dry then pick it up after you water it to notice the weight difference absolutely and if you do have a lot of pots and the plants have been in there a long time and a long time is months it doesn't have to be longer than that uh, you may need to put them if they get very very dry and you may need to put the the whole pot in a bowl or a bucket or I use kitty litter boxes uh, and fill that with water and walk away for a while and let it soak up through because dry soil will not absorb water readily and it shrinks in the pot and you water from the top and you think you've got it nice and wet because the water's going around the outside and through the holes at the bottom but it hasn't actually entered the the soil that the plant is growing in by putting it in another container that you can fill with water walk away for an hour or two come back take it out let it drain you've allowed the water to soak in and you get a good watering done that way i guess i should stop using genie's roasting pan for this (laughs) you may need it for another purpose yes All right. So, Tim, yeah, it depends, but um, monitor the situation. Act accordingly. Yeah, let us know. Debbie Flower, thanks for your help on this. You're welcome, Fred. Smart Pots. It's the original award-winning fabric planter. It's sold worldwide, and Smart Pots are proudly made 100% in the USA. Smart Pots, by the way, are BPA-free with no risk of chemicals leaching into your soil, your herbs, vegetables, and other edibles. That's why organic growers prefer Smart Pots. 
and they last for years. Some gardeners have been using the same smart pots for over a decade. Smart Pot's breathable fabric creates a healthy root structure for plants. Because the fabric breathes, Smart Pots are better suited than plastic pots, especially for really hot and really cold climates. And unlike a plastic pot, the fabric won't crack or break from frost or when dropped. For more information, visit smartpots.com fred. And don't forget that slash fred part, because on that page are details of discounts when you buy Smart Pots at Amazon. Visit smartpots.com slash fred. I had an interesting discovery the other day. I was taking out a dying tomato plant. It's the end of the season. It had produced its last tomato. It was a gardener's delight tomato. And I was a little curious about where it was growing because I was growing this gardener's delight tomato in a 15-gallon smart pot. And I was really curious about what the roots look like. If you've listened to the Garden Basics podcast for any length of time, you know one thing we talk about a lot. It's all about the soil. Healthy soil means healthy plants. And the one problem that you might have if you have plants in containers, those plants could develop roots that just go round and round and round. The plant gets girdled. And when a plant develops roots that can't go anywhere... Those roots just get fatter and bigger. It can impede water. It can impede fertilizer. It really restricts the health of a plant. And I know that happens with plastic pots. I've seen it happen in ceramic pots with tomatoes and peppers even. And I was wondering, well, okay, let's see what the root looks like coming out of a smart pot. So I pulled that Gardener's Delight tomato out of the 15-gallon smart pot and took a look at the results. I will post that picture in the Garden Basics newsletter for this week because that root system looked like it had been growing in the ground. There were no circling roots. There were no girdling roots. The bottom of it was fully open so water could penetrate. It looked beautiful. Now, how the heck does a smart pot do that? That's why I wanted to bring in Kurt Rieger. He is the president of High Caliper Growing. That's the uh, mothership for smart pots and Kurt, thanks for spending a few minutes with us. As anybody knows who listens to this show, I'm a big believer in smart pots. I like to have uh, people like you on board who offering products or services that I believe in, that I use, that I enjoy, that I would that I would purchase again. And these smart pots, uh, by the way, weren't new smart pots. I've had these like five or six years, and they hold up year after year. And I was still amazed at how that healthy root system developed in the smart pot as opposed to a plastic pot or a ceramic pot. How the heck does it do that, Kurt? Well, thank you, Fred, for having me on. I really, really appreciate it. And and we're a big fan of yours. And I've actually listened to your show before and uh, listened to your show long ago when I was up in Willits, California, driving. And uh, so so it's it's great to be on and great for you to ask me. Um, I'm always happy to come on and talk about roots. Now, with that picture that I sent you, Kurt, and a picture that will appear uh, at the Garden Basics newsletter uh, as well of that uh, root structure of the tomato plant that has grown in that smart pot. Now, I know you're a root geek, Kurt, and that's a good thing. Did you notice anything about that root system that stood out to you? Well, what I wanted to mention, Fred, which is that root structure is actually fascinating because you said that it was it looked like it was an in-ground root structure. But if you look at it closely, the tips of those roots 
are actually swelling or bulbing. There's actually a swelling or bulbing effect at the tip of the roots where it encounters the smart pot. And that is a buildup. If you were to, to slice little thin layers of that tip or root, you would find a buildup of carbohydrate energy in that root area, in that root structure. When the carbohydrates produced by the photosynthesis travel down the phloem of the plant, they, they build up or, or kind of stop and it forms a, a bulb, what I call a radish or a carrot, forms a, a bulb at the tip of those root structures. And that bulb of carbohydrate energy greatly adds to the health of the plant and uh, adds to the plant's ability to form uh, you know, more vegetables and just perform better because you have a buildup in the root structure. It's, it's fascinating. It, it's everything a plant wants. And uh, when you give the plants the, what they need, they will produce for you. Yes, and if you can build up a, a, a greater amount of carbohydrate energy, it's gonna, you're going to do better, and, and the smart pot helps you do that. Roots are apically dominated, as you well as you may know, meaning the root grows at the tip of the the root. Of the, the, the typical the root growth is at the tip, or the apex of the root, and moisture and nutrients travel um, are, are absorbed by that root tip and travel up up the root structure and uh so th those fibrous feeder roots at the tips of the roots are that's what you want you want as much of that as you can get and um that's what absorbs moisture and nutrients are absorbed by that and in a plastic or a ceramic pot the root tip comes and it hits that plastic and it starts to circle around and around and pretty soon the travel distance for moisture and nutrients gets longer and longer because you have a, you know, the circling of a root structure there. In a smart pot, the root tip hits the side of the fabric. It's, it's engaged in that side of the fabric, kind of caught in the side of the fabric and it air root prunes, meaning that it kind of dries a little bit and it stops. And that signals the root to branch or fiber or fill out. So you have a root pruning, a root enhancement, and you literally you know, double or even triple the size of the root structure. And most importantly, you double and triple the, the amount of fibrous feeder roots in the root structure. Uh, and so instead of a root circling around 100 times, you have 100 different uh, branching or, or fibering of the root structure, which allows you to uptake a lot more moisture and nutrients into the plant. And what, if you have a better root structure, you're going to have you know more fruit, more roots, more fruit. Exactly. It's it's all about the health of the plant. And what amazed me too was when I lifted that smart pot off the ground with the plant still in it. I was expecting, oh man, I bet it's going to be just attached to the soil from roots penetrating the smart pot and just uh, holding itself to the ground. But no, it came right up. There were some, you know, little tiny roots that had come out, but it was no big deal to remove that plant from the smart pot and the smart pot is still intact. Right. But those little tiny roots actually have a, a purpose and a function the, that gives your plant an intimate, what I call an intimate ground contact. You have a, a, a close ground contact. When you're in a plastic pot or a ceramic pot, you're divorced from the ground. And having that ground contact gives you moisture and nutrient movement up from the ground into the plant. And then also, most importantly, ground temperatures. You have a ground temperature because of those small little roots 
inside the container as opposed to being in an ambient situation where where ambient temperatures fluctuate greatly you know throughout the day and you know throughout the week but if you can have a a more of a ground temperature situation which is what you have with a smart pot you're a lot better off and will produce a much better plant and that goes without saying too that a smart pot is going to stay cooler in the summertime as well Correct, because it's going to stay whatever. It's going to stay your your ground temperature. It, it reflects the ground temperature and not just the the regular, you know, a hot summer day or or you know the 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 cold evenings. So I followed the advice on your website, smartpots.com, on the FAQ page about cleaning the smart pot after use. And I've got it uh, sitting on a brick wall, uh, drying out, and then I can just brush it off and put it away for the winter. Correct. Yeah. And use it again. And, and you said you'd use them for how many years again? 2015 or 2016 was the first season I used them. Right. So you're heck, you're only on your fifth year. You'll you'll get a lot of use out of it. It'll hold up for a lot longer than that. Smart pots in my yard that are on there about 12th year. But we have some customers who use them a lot longer than that. Use the same one. Unfortunately, I, it maybe be better for us if it fell apart and they'd have to buy it again. But but. It's a very well-made product and will last essentially forever. And boy, oh boy, being that they're made in the USA, you weren't waiting at the ports of Long Beach or Los Angeles waiting for supplies to come in because it's all made here in the U.S. That is correct. Uh, we are headquartered in Oklahoma City and we're a manufacturing company plant here in Oklahoma City. And uh, the materials that, that go into the product are made in various places, uh, North Carolina, Rhode Island. Uh, we get our threads out of Rhode Island. So as long as you consider Oklahoma part of the USA, then it's you made in USA. Talk a little bit about the, the line of smart pots too, because they come in a wide variety of sizes. Well, we go all the way from one gallon up to a thousand gallons. So, and and everything in between. So, and have a a, a great customer base, you know, in all of those sizes. Uh, so, yeah, we we have a, a very full line, and then we have um, a, a trays uh, for you know for growing trays. We have um, raised beds, kind of rectangle raised beds. Um, raised beds with uh, PVC pipe in them. So we have a, a number of different sizes. They come with handles or like you mentioned, uh, even a yes, PVC support. or no handles. Uh, the fabric is very tough, as you know. So even if you don't have fan handles, you're able to grab it and yank it around and pull it around. It, it's not going to fall apart on you. It's a very tough product, but we do have handles. And then we also have colors. Our most popular colors are kind of a, a natural color, black, natural, we have a green and now a blue and some other uh, colors as well. I pity the person who thinks they're doing the right thing by putting drain holes in smart pots. They don't need them. There are already a million, literally, literally a million holes in a smart pot. It is a porous fabric, exceedingly porous. So you don't need to cut holes in, in a plastic pot there. You, you need to have a few holes because that's the only way it can drain. But in a smart pot, you literally have a million holes in the fabric, so it drains readily. And, uh, and that, again, sets up this, this intimate ground contact. And, of course, it allows the air pruning uh, on the side of the plant. Actually, I don't know if 
if you go out and look at the plants in the morning, sometimes you can even see small little white roots creeping through, poking through on the bottom side of the plant. And then by the afternoon, they'll all kind of recede back a little bit. But that tells you how healthy the plant is and, and how vibrous the, the root structure is growing. That's called air pruning, right? That's called air pruning. All right. For more information about SmartPots, check out their website, smartpots.com. And you can find SmartPots throughout the United States at great retailers like Ace Hardware and True Value Store, as well as your favorite local independent nurseries and garden centers. Again, SmartPots are not only available in the United States, they're available around the world, aren't they? Uh, yes, they are. We, <laughs> we try to get them out there. We, we do, yes. All right, so check it out. It might be in a store near you. Smartpots.com is the website for more information. And I, I hear coming soon you'll be able to buy them online. We sell them online as well, so certainly at smartpots.com, that's for sure. All right, Kurt Rieger is the president of High Caliper Growing, the manufacturers of Smartpots. It's a great product. I'll be saving mine and using it again next year. Kurt, thanks for a few minutes of your time here. Thanks for having me on, Fred. I sure appreciate it. Thank you. If you haven't shopped at your favorite independently owned nursery lately, you know something you're missing out. Now arriving at California, Arizona, and Texas nurseries are Dave Wilson Nursery's excellent lineup of farmer's market favorites of great tasting, healthy fruit and nut varieties. They're already potted up and ready to be planted. We're talking about almonds, blackberries, blueberries, boysenberries, figs, grapes, hops, kiwi, mulberries, olives, pomegranates, and a lot more. For you gardeners in the Pacific Northwest, Mountain, and Southern states, look for Dave Wilson's Farmer's Market favorites in January and February. You want more? Well, by the second week in January, you're going to find your favorite Dave Wilson bare root deciduous fruit trees in stock, including my favorite, the Plum Apricot Cross, the Pluot. Wholesale grower Dave Wilson Nursery has probably the best lineup of great-tasting fruit and nut varieties of any grower in the United States. Find out more at their website, DaveWilson.com. And while you're there, check out all the videos they have on how to plant and grow all their delicious varieties of fruit and nut trees. Plus, at DaveWilson.com, you're going to find the nursery nearest you that carries Dave Wilson's plants. Your harvest to better health begins at DaveWilson.com. Maybe your interest was piqued when Debbie Flower said this about moisture meters earlier in this episode. You can use a moisture meter if you know how to use it. Moisture meters, what they're really measuring is electrical conductivity in the soil. So the type of soil and the amount of fertilizer in the soil will change the reading. Whoa, fertilizers can give you a false reading when you use a moisture meter? Well, why is that? And how do you avoid that and yet feed your plants and check the soil moisture? Well, the Current Garden Basics newsletter on Substack does just that. It does a deep dive into how moisture meters work, including the inexpensive ones, and how they can be fooled by the fertilizer that might be in your soil. And we'll have that picture of the root ball of that nine-month-old tomato plant that's been in the same 15-gallon smart pot for its entire life. It's a healthy root ball with no girdling roots, proof that the smart pot's ability to air prune roots works, the end result being a much healthier plant. It's all in the latest Garden Basics newsletter. 
The Garden Basics newsletter is free, and there's a link in today's show notes. There's a link near the top of the page at FarmerFred.com as well, or just go to Substack.com and do a search for Garden Basics with Farmer Fred. That's Substack.com slash Garden Basics. Think of it as your garden resource that goes beyond the basics. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter, and for you, it's free. So uh, remember me and your will, won't you? Thanks. Every week, we like to talk with Warren Roberts from the University of California Davis Arboretum and Public Garden. He is their superintendent emeritus. He always has a plant of the week for us. And uh, this is a, a very nice time of the year because there are so many shrubs with berries on them. And today, Warren, this plant is no exception. Beautiful red berries on this one. Yes, the cotoneaster, or as it is also pronounced, cotton easter, is a rather large genus of shrubs. I think there are about 50 species from the old world, meaning Europe and Asia. It is uh, one of the, the dependable shrubs for uh, colors for, uh, from the berries. Now, not all cotoneasters have red berries. There's some that have black fruit, but the ones that are commonly grown are the ones that have beautiful red berries. There are some that are evergreen, and there are some that are deciduous. The deciduous ones, the ones that lose their leaves in the winter, are typically the more cold-hardy ones. And there's uh, a cotoneaster called cotoneaster horizontalis, or the rock cotoneaster, which has dependably beautiful red foliage. The stems, uh, when they're bare, look almost like a a very dark gray fish skeleton, the way the (laughs) the branches come off of the the main stems. That's a good way to put it. I like that, yes. It's a herringbone (laughs) pattern. (laughs) Yes, it is. But but not the smell. Although the flowers of Cotoneaster are typically fly-pollinated, so they don't have the... The fragrance is a bit off for most of them. However, the, they're dependable uh, plants for for a winter color with um, with the fruit, whether they're, they're evergreen or deciduous. Some of them have become weedy in the United States. I think in California we have at least three species that are considered weeds or naturalized. Those are ever, evergreen species, I believe. In the landscape, they have many uses. They can be pruned like a hedge, some of them can, or just allowed to grow. Some of them can become trees uh, if you prune them in the right way. I think they're altogether very useful. Just keep in mind that some of them can become uh, a bit weedy and get us into the environment. The fruit is edible. Hmm. In fact, there is a species in, in China. Let me see if I've got the right name. It's called Cotoneaster racemiflorus, uh, which is, is a source of a sweet, manna-like substance high in dextrose used in Iran and, and India. And also they have good vitamin C quality as well. Mainly, though, they're grown just for, in, in gardening. They're grown just for the beautiful fruit that uh, stays on the plant all winter. So you know, one of the characteristics color combinations of this time of year is red and green, and you certainly get that with the, the evergreen cotoneasters. This is a shrub that kind of likes it on the rough side a little bit. According to the Sunset Western Garden book, uh, cotoneasters look better and produce better crops of berries if planted on dry slopes, where they can, by the way, reduce erosion, or 
plant them in poor soil rather than in rich, moist garden soil. Yes, that, that is true. I think uh, that, that, that rings true to me from my own experience. However, the Tony Asters, almost all of them come from areas that get uh, almost an inch of rain a week. Mm, but it must so, be good draining soil then. <laughs> yes, good, well-drained soil typically. Um, and certainly the ones that have, have become uh, weedy in California. Actually, one of my favorite Cotoneasters, Cotoneaster lacteus, which can be pruned up to be a nice small tree, is one that has become a, a problem in uh, the moisture environments here in California. Mm. Just uh, you could you can look up which ones are weedy and then plant the ones that are not on the list. Exactly, and you know a Cotoneaster is exactly what you want in a spouse. It, something with <laughs> little that requires little or no maintenance. <laughs> uh, I don't know any spouses like that. No, I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid that I would be one of the spouses that needs some care and maintenance. <laughs> oh, goodness. And then some of the sun containers have leaves that are very tiny, very small, you know, you know less than a, an eighth of an inch across. And then some have leaves that are more than an inch long. So you can get various textures as well. And uh, some of them, like we've already mentioned, Tony Aster horizontalis, if you plant it in the right spot, since it's a low-growing, spreading plant, you really don't have to do very much to it, uh, except give it water once every two weeks, I suppose. And they come in uh, whatever you want in a plant. They can be evergreen, they could be semi-evergreen, and they could be deciduous. And it sounds like some of these deciduous cotoneasters uh, really shine in cold winter climates and produce uh, some really nice-looking fall foliage and uh, the berries, too. Yes, altogether a very useful group of plants, a very useful genus of shrubs. The Cotoneaster, it's the plant of the week, courtesy of Warren Roberts, Superintendent Emeritus of the University of California, Davis Arboretum and Public Garden. More information about that definite garden stop on your bucket list if you're hitting arboretums across the United States of America in the near future. Uh, add the UC Davis Arboretum to that list. More information, arboretum.ucdavis.edu. Warren, thanks for the Cotoneaster. You're welcome. And one thing nice, another nice thing about the Arboretum of Davis is it's free. That seems un-American, but I'll go for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Fred. Thank you, Warren. Don't forget, if you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's episode of Garden Basics with Farmer Fred, please subscribe to the free Garden Basics newsletter. It's on Substack. Details are in today's show notes. The Garden Basics podcast will be on its winter schedule from November through January, which means there will only be one episode per week during this three-month period, and it'll come out on Fridays. Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by SmartPots, and we thank them for their support. Garden Basics, it's available for free wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.